Welcome to the Metaversible Podcast, chronicling the journey of reaching the metaverse through blockchain, digital art, and virtual reality. We should probably say that this is not financial advice by any stretch, but just make your own decisions, do your own research, and definitely check out all the things that we mentioned today. Welcome back to the Metaversible Podcast, where we explore the art and the science of the metaverse, this digital world in which we live in. I'm one of your hosts. I'm Chris Cochran. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host and best friend, Ron Eddings. Glad to be home in the metaverse. And we are about to take another red pill and dive right in. Who do we have with us today, Ron? In the metaverse today, we have two founders. Our guests are Mary Gunaratne and also Luke Truitt. These two founders are focused on building on top of the crypto and Solana ecosystem, and they're building and supporting decentralized finance stacks for assets. Mary, Luke, welcome to the Metaversal Podcast. Hey, thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. I'm super excited to speak to you all because when I looked into what you do as a company, I can tell you have a really clear vision as to what you're trying to do in the metaverse. But let's talk a little bit about your origin story into the metaverse. How did you get involved? And how did you come about this extremely interesting company that you're building? Let's start with you, Mary. Hi, yeah. So my background, I met Luke uh, four years ago now in college. My main interests then, much like his, were machine learning. I spent quite a few summers and years working on machine learning research, ended up taking some time to do head of product at a YC-backed startup that was more consumer social focused before Luke and I started a machine learning consulting business that had kind of transitioned into a defense staffing business. We ultimately sold that in mid-2020, just around the time DeFi summer was really taking off. And that was really our segue into crypto. And so it's really been crazy since then, focused on a couple different projects, but really we're excited about the idea of mass market adoption since day one. And that's ultimately how we found ourselves building in Solana and NFTs. Yeah, I mean, I spent a lot of time early on building uh, just kind of traditional software development on on both web and mobile, dove a little bit deeper into like different applications of, you know, economics as it relates to software development. And that's what got me excited about crypto in the first place. Toyed around with a few ideas kind of throughout the last, you know, two, three years, but um, never really got the chance to, to spend all my time on it. It was always, I had too many other things going on until we had some time last year and and have kind of not really turned back since. It's been a 24-7 grind and definitely do not regret any minute of it. It is always a grind. And, you know, when we first found out that we're going to be doing this podcast with you all, we were really excited because we're huge fans of the blockchain. We're huge fans of NFTs. We're both NFT holders. But what we saw about your company, Bridge Split, is that you all are doing something unique. Something that's near and dear to my heart because I'm also an investor of stock and real estate. And it's hard to gain assets or gain a fraction of an asset when the asset price is high. For example, NFTs, if you want a board ape or another very popular blue chip project NFT, you might have to pay thousands, tens, or hundreds of thousands of dollars. But you all are helping solve that problem. Let's talk a little bit about the problem space and why it was important for you all to solve. 
kind of to your point, the idea of not being able to buy like a small piece of an asset is actually part of a much bigger problem. And it's just the fact that the like non-fungible token asset class hasn't been developed um, and hasn't really evolved beyond the actions of buying and selling an asset. And so that's left us with 20 to $25 billion in non-fungible tokens across both chains that essentially sit locked in people's wallets compared to a position you would take on Seoul, for example, where you could sell half of it, take out a leveraged position on it, use it as collateral for a loan. None of those things are possible with the value you have in NFTs today, which leaves some people questioning one, how much of their portfolio they even want to devote to NFTs, and two, whether it's a good idea. And really, if we want the asset class to blossom, we need to make sure that if you are, for example, an NFT whale with several millions of dollars in assets, that you can get liquidity for that. And then kind of longer term, if we want more assets to be represented as non-fungible tokens, uh, it's important to make sure the infrastructure to make those both liquid and yield generating exists. And so take us a little bit through your thought process, the origin of, of the company itself. How did you decide on what to do and what is it that your company does? Yeah, so we decided on this actually after iterating through quite a few ideas. Um, we originally started building back in uh, mid-2020 a kind of like one-click DeFi app, like a Robinhood for DeFi. Originally, we were building it on ETH1. Obviously, way too expensive to get anybody excited about that. Then Polygon became a thing. And so we started building on Polygon and obviously a little lower fees. And some of the projects like SushiSwap and Aave were moving over so we could start integrating with them. But the problem with that uh, was just like one, the experience building on Ethereum was just horrible from a kind of all different perspectives, but mostly from a developer perspective, there's so many trade-offs that you have to consider in both interoperability and just transaction cost and speed. And then the other big piece is like, if you have people who probably didn't know that much about crypto that come on to your, you know, quote unquote, Robinhood for DeFi app and start using it, either they're going to be like, this is like too intense. I just want to like trade crypto or I just want to earn some yield and they'll go like over to Coinbase. Or they're going to be like, this is sweet. I want to like spend all my time doing this. And they'll go download their MetaMask or their Phantom and just like start actually using the protocols. So we bailed on that idea after kind of realizing that we really didn't have a good business fit. I mean, there was definitely interest in the product, but it was mostly like a public good. And that's what got us into Solana. And then also we started kind of looking at more unique products in, in Solana that kind of worked towards that mass adoption angle that we'd always been excited about it. And NFTs were like the thing that we just kept coming back to. One, because people understood it, whether they were in crypto or out of crypto, and they understood it for different reasons. And two, just the technology that underlines, underlies NFTs to us was something that's still extremely undervalued from a long-term potential. This idea of digital uniqueness, being able to track something globally, store a value and trade that value, do things with that value, right? That financial value. Um, is, is super interesting to us when you think about all the things that are not currently on chain that could be and need that one-to-one mapping to be kind of recognized in the crypto economy. And so started digging into that problem, realized a lot of the awesome things that we could do with Solana that we couldn't really do when we were on Polygon or ETH1. And so really just dove into like understanding the problem of financialization or liquidity of NFTs kind of built out our roadmap back in September. It's certainly changed quite a bit since then. But what we're focused on now is building out this liquidity stack for NFTs. So allowing 
anybody to guarantee a price and guarantee a sale of an NFT, allow people to extract that financial utility out of an NFT. I mean, the details of the roadmap, like the actual products that you'd be using that would accomplish that are things like fractionalization, like you mentioned, index funds. So things like, you know, an S&P 500 for NFTs, a curated index fund, one where you as somebody who has a lot of NFTs can go set up, you know, a pool of maybe 10 or 20 of these things, set your own prices and then issue shares of that NFT index. And then kind of the layer on top of that that we're really excited about, but that needs more liquidity to back it are things like NFT collateralized lending, right? Which is, I think, a really exciting concept in theory. And a lot of people who have, you know, 500,000, a million, $5 million sitting in various NFTs think would be, you know, an amazing product to have. But the issue with it is, you really can't guarantee liquidations and you can't really price these things effectively. And so you need a lot more infrastructure built out before that's ready. So that's kind of like on the horizon for us, but um, we're really focused on how do we build something that allows people to price an NFT accurately and sell an NFT on demand, right? And not have to worry about listing it on the marketplace, et cetera. And they can get that via all those different mechanisms that we just described. A lot of use cases. It sounds like you're, you all are building out a lot of features and and opportunities for people. But let's break it down a bit more, right? You know, I'm an NFT holder, Chris is an NFT holder, and we're excited about having the opportunity to buy more NFTs or get some of the liquid out of our NFTs without letting it go. What are some of the the use cases there that you can talk a bit more about and and like what would excite people about, you know, this opportunity? Yeah, so basically right now if you're like a holder of NFTs, you're, uh, and you believe in the upside of a project, you believe in the future value of a project, um, your only options right now are to hold that asset. Um, and it's pretty limiting long term if you have $1,000 in your wallet and you there's like $1,000 NFT, that's all you can really bet on. The opportunity you get, and there's a lot of different opportunities that will enable um, in terms of value is some that come to mind are one, if you have $1,000 and say, really believe in Board Ape Yacht Club, in Solana Monkey Business, um, in DGen Ape Academy, you could actually deploy like $300 or worth of soul into all of them through fractional ownership or through an index fund. Another opportunity you have would be to take out a loan against your asset and then use that capital if you wanted to purchase another NFT or to place in a yield aggregator and really create passive income opportunities on your NFTs in the same way that passive income opportunities are enabled in DeFi for fungible assets. Um, And so those are kind of the main directions. It's the idea of yield and liquidity and flexible exposure, which were previously inaccessible in the NFT space. The one thing that I wanted to ask you about is when you said index, I was like, brilliant. That's freaking brilliant. Because when you look at things like stocks, if you look at the top 500, you know, these are different things that people understand because they have a good track record. The thing about NFTs is that there's so much volatility. How would you figure out the NFTs to put in an index, whether you're on ETH or on Solana, because things are kind of all over the place? What would be the process for building that index? So there's actually kind of two different ways that we're thinking about that problem. One is very like, you know, crypto native way, which is like, let the community decide, right? And so that's one where we set up, you'd set up parameters for what that index should take. So if you think about the S&P 500, right, there's a committee that determines what equity should be allowed to be counted in the S&P 500 based on some criteria. And that's, you know, it constantly maintains kind of that ratio of, 
of assets. And, and we'd think this would go something very similar where you'd have a series of indexes similar to like a mutual fund or whatever that sets its criteria ahead of time and automatically is rebalancing by buying on the open market, selling on the open market, and whatever the case may be, allowing people to swap in and out. That's kind of option A to us, and we're definitely actively working on getting that set up, but it involves more buy-in from the community. So it's kind of a slower start. Option two, and the one that we're pretty excited about in the short term, is one that is almost completely permissionless and is less about maintaining any specific ratio, but allowing people to swap in and out kind of on demand. So allowing people to make that index fund whatever they end up wanting it to be. I mean, anybody can deposit assets into it. Anybody can withdraw assets from it based on broad criteria saying this asset's allowed, this asset's not allowed. So not trying to maintain some ratio, not trying to exclude things, but saying, okay, anything that's in one of these 10 collections can be deposited. And then you can swap your index token directly for NFTs that are in that index fund. So allowing the people who are trading or whether it's an institution or an individual to come in and say, hey, uh, that's in NFTs undervalued in this index. I'm going to, you know, exchange my index tokens to go sell it on the open market, or they go out in the open market and buy an NFT and deposit it into the pool and automatically get back their index tokens. And all of that kind of comes down to pricing. Uh, and we can dive into that if you guys want, but that's kind of a whole nother can of worms. You all sound, you know, extremely sharp, especially with just the things that you know about NFTs, but also the, the terminology that you're using for financialization and assets and and things along those lines. And it's making me more excited about just the opportunity to have, you know, this type of platform in my life. One of the things that I wanted to ask is how does this all fit in with the blockchain? Of course, you're using these assets that are on the blockchain, like NFTs and maybe even composing a mutual fund. But how does your output, how does the data that you all produce and collect and store go on the blockchain? Does it actually go there or are you all doing something different? Yes, all of the index fund is actually stored in an escrow contract on the blockchain. So all of it will be publicly available. Anybody can see the assets that are sitting in there and we'll actually be releasing kind of a lot of indexing tools for people to want to you know, observe that, see how we're pricing stuff. They can you know, make decisions on that. We're also going to be opening up a liquidation SDK, which is something that protocols can plug into in order to automatically sell NFTs into the index fund and automatically buy NFTs out of the index funds. So that's kind of another way that you'd be able to interact on the blockchain. And then the last piece of it is, is more like pricing specific. So allowing people to see, hey, here's how Bridge Split's pricing it on the blockchain, right? That's all you know, public information, whatever the case may be, and allowing people to figure out estimations for how much an NFT should be worth based on how we're estimating that price. We see a lot of like long-term use cases for this as well, of just like people being very transparent around, you know, where money's moving, how money's being allocated within these index funds and where the volumes are flowing. Since we'll be using, you know, decentralized exchanges and all that to trade these index tokens, and it'll live kind of fully permissionless, fully, you know, on blockchain. So I think it'll be exactly as you'd imagine it, just kind of with any other DeFi protocol, uh, allowing anybody to kind of see what's going on under the hood. Right. And it seems like, you know, when you talk about interoperability, you want to be able to be utilized by a lot of things. But what's interesting is that you have made a bet on Solana. We're bullish on Solana. We think it's the future. Take us down a little bit of the decision logic of betting on Solana and how big of a bet is that building your entire infrastructure on this framework? 
Yeah, so I can get into kind of both parts of that question. So first of all, our decision making around picking Solana, the way our product works right now, a lot of it's only feasible on Solana, both due to kind of the throughput, as well as the data availability, as well as the transaction fees. For an example, fractionalization, um, if you're seeking to buy $50 worth of an asset, paying $150 of gas on top of it doesn't make a ton of sense, and you're going to end up with a lot of low volume pools. Similarly, if you're looking to do something like a dynamic collateralization ratio um, in a lending market, which is pretty important for an asset as volatile as NFTs, you can't really get that pricing data at the frequency you would need it um, on other chains that aren't Solana. It just made a lot more sense from a product perspective, because at the end of the day, kind of the most critical piece for us is aggregating these really high liquidity indexes on our platform. And you want to maximize volume and not be optimizing around constraints like gas and speed and really just be focused on creating the most liquid pools possible. But to that point, we acknowledge that there is still a ton of NFT volume on Ethereum and that the future is multi-chain. And we kind of both espouse the view that so there's kind of two different approaches you can take to multi-chain. You can build your protocol on every single chain, or you can take more of the token bridging approach and have your protocol support wrap tokens and tokens from other chains. And so we are adopting that latter view. We'll be launching a integration with Wormhole's NFT bridge in the coming weeks, allowing people to use Ethereum wrapped NFTs on our platform just the same. That's kind of going to be our view long term is how do we support the most number of assets across all chains on our protocol on Solana. Jeez. Like my mind is blown right now, honestly. <laughs> I, I think you two are way ahead of the game. I'm like, I need to hang out with you two so much more to really understand, you know, the the world that I'm surrounding myself in when it comes to blockchain, digital art, virtual reality. And I saw that you two had a funding round. You got some capital from investors. I wanted to ask, how does that differ from traditional venture capitalism when, you know, companies receive funding? Is it the same or is it different on Web3 type of companies? Well, it, I mean, it's similar in the sense that, you know, we're taking on private capital in with the intent of just like going out and, you know, doing a bunch of like things with it that we wouldn't have been able to do had we not had, you know, somebody like that to come in because we don't have, you know, big revenue yet. We don't have a lot of this. And these people are making a bet on the future of where we're going with it. That's kind of all the same. I think the main difference, and you've seen this now like much more frequently over the last year, year and a half, but we obviously raised on what's called a, a pre-sale of a token that effectively uh, our token isn't minted or anything like that yet, but um, it's it's really similar to how private rounds work in, in the equity world where you raise like a safe note or a, you know agreement for future equity. At the end of the day, the only real difference is that they're going to get their tokens very shortly. Whereas in like a, you know, traditional funding round in normal world, you probably wouldn't end up getting any liquidity on your equity as an investor until five years, 10 years from the time you make that investment, especially this early on. So I think like you are able to one, speed up the course of development quite a bit, right? We were able to take on a good bit of capital that we're going to be able to deploy very quickly to, you know, we're, we're hiring, we're bringing a lot of folks on board and we're, um, definitely figuring out good ways to put that capital to work. But also these guys are, you know, they want to come back and they want to keep us growing as fast as they can. And we also want to grow as fast as we can. So like 
it's a definitely a good cycle once you know once the tokens live and stuff like that that you're allowed to you know kind of bring bring that capital early see that growth and then that's reflected very quickly in the price of you know your token or your overall valuation as a company and your investors are able to kind of get that feedback loop and obviously it works in the opposite direction if things aren't going well but definitely a, a virtuous cycle for builders to be able to kind of realize a lot more of that long-term growth up front so that you're able to build a lot faster and you know, start trying to figure out where the right long-term business is as soon as possible. So are you a DAO? Are you a traditional company, a mixture of both? What does that look like? I mean, it's a little confusing. The legal structures are always weird for these things, but there will be a bridge split DAO eventually. Technically, I guess there is one, but obviously since the token's not live, there's no like distributed governance yet. We're really, we don't, we just don't want to decentralize too fast. I think like there's definitely harm in doing that um, from a you know progress perspective but once we're able to kind of you know get the protocol to a point where like you know we're seeing steady usage people understand it and it's really just about iterating and building on top of it that's kind of when we'll think about opening the the doors up to you know slowly but surely more full decentralization so yeah dow's coming right now though we're just a normal company awesome you know, I, I wanted to ask, I think this is really relevant to our listeners, even Chris and myself, and be great for you all to share with our audiences. What are some of the biggest lessons you've learned so far, you know, starting this this new endeavor? And what are some of the best practices that you can maybe recite today? I know they'll, they'll change in the future, but what are some of the best practices that you've found when looking at starting a Web3 first company? I mean, I'm sure there's a lot, so this is in no order of priority. Something that's really resonated with us in the past three months is how much it impacts both your project and your momentum to have built a real authentic community around it. We started putting in serious effort to both reaching out to members in the community, kind of engaging members in community from both like a partnership perspective, as well as a feedback perspective. And as a result, have grown our Discord and our Twitter a ton. And it's really full of like authentic members who are really engaged with the project. And not only are constantly providing us feedback and ideas and partnership opportunities, but also bringing more people onto our project, answering questions in the Discord. So many people have become like de facto moderators almost. And I think going into this, we knew and that community was important, but to have felt it in this way and understand kind of what it means for the momentum of a project and the natural growth around it has been pivotal. It sounds like you guys have thought of everything. You've put a lot of time and attention into this. You have momentum. You have, you have people that are seeing value in you already. What is going to be the biggest challenge over the next year or so for you all? And how do you look to overcome that obstacle? I think the biggest obstacle is going to be education and, and really having people understand what one we're trying to do, but also what this entire space is trying to do. I think the the real value of NFTs and the real value of finding the financial utility in NFTs are both things that outside of like smaller circles are are still pretty unclear to people. You know, even with our users that we've had kind of the last month and a half, it's been like very clear that there's like a lot of confusion around like really what the value prop of all of these different things is. And so it, it's going to be about, hey, look, like we have this product that works in so many different ways to benefit you as an NFT holder, to benefit you as somebody who wants to allocate capital towards NFTs. You just need to understand kind of where that needs to happen. And so our goal, one is you know building a really good product, but then two, after that product is built, how do we show people like what the point 
of it is and why they're, you know, why they should be so excited about it, because there's definitely a need for it. But there's also an education gap that makes it really hard for people, especially people outside of crypto, to understand how to get into it and how to start moving on it. It's interesting because it seems like this whole space really came to fruition like last year, right? And it's 2022. So we basically have to say last year. But it almost seems like this is almost like the era of the beginning of America when, you know, you had the Vanderbilts and you had the JP Morgans and you had the Carnegie's. And it seems like you're building something with gravity really early on in the space. So it's almost like sky's the limit from an emotional or from an opportunity perspective. How does it feel for you to be building this now so early? Yeah, I mean, it's super exciting. And this is something Luke and I have always said, but it's awesome to be building around both what is like a present cultural moment and pain point NFTs are this crazy huge thing. But then also to have this broader understanding that this is really only the tip of the iceberg, that art and gaming are the first use cases for NFTs. And the market expands far beyond that into real world assets and these trillion dollar financial markets. So it's exciting to both have the momentum now and be solving a problem now and know where everything can go. And I mean, there's a reason I'm working on it every day, day and night. It really gets me going. I mean, I love that you're bringing up the Andrew Carnegie's of the world and, and <laughs> JP Morgan's. I mean, that that was like when I was in college and stuff, That's I read all those biographies. Like, I love that stuff. And I appreciate that you didn't compare it to when the internet started, because I feel like that's everybody's like go-to. It's like, oh, this is like the internet again. Right. But I do think it's like- bigger than the internet. But I do think this has a lot more potential than the internet from a, from an immediate you know impact perspective, just because of because the internet's there as the base layer. Now, like the whole world's involved in this. Like we're on calls with people every day from Korea and India and Eastern Europe and, you know, Spain and then Central America and US. And it's like insane, like the number of people that are involved in this. And so being able to one, have like full control over the future of not only like our and like the people around us lives from like a technology perspective, but really, like you said, this is the base layer of what's going to be possible in 10 years. And obviously, you know, history is written by the winners and all all of that. But I think like everybody who's working on stuff today, even the people who aren't going to make it in 10 years, because, you know, they're out competed or whatever the case is, are all going to have like a really big uh, impact on like how how this world is perceived um, by all the people who continue to come into the space and like even us who came in like later than a lot of the people that we meet are still fairly early in all of this and like getting involved in 2020 is like later than a lot of people but it's also earlier than probably 99 percent of people um, and so like being able to like really like you know understand it at the full level that it is now uh, and and build that out in the future is like probably the most exciting thing about what we're doing more so than any in particular uh, piece of it. But I love the question. Outstanding. I'm excited for you all. I'm going to be keeping a very close eye on you. And for the folks that want to also keep a close eye on you, what are the best ways that people can stay up to date with all the things that you're doing with your company? Yeah, I'd suggest probably three things. One, you could follow us on Twitter. Our handle is just bridge split bridge spelled the traditional way and split spelled the traditional way. You can also subscribe to our newsletter from the Twitter or join our Discord, which is also linked on our Twitter. And if anyone's interested in participating and being a part of the discussion in a more full-time capacity, uh, there's also a link to our roles on our Twitter as well. 
Excellent. We'll be sure to drop those resources in the show notes. We would highly encourage everyone to stay up to date with you and all the things that you you two are doing. Really appreciate you joining us on the Metaversal Podcast, and we'll see everyone next time in the Metaverse. Thank you.